Hi, this is Dave Summers, and welcome to AMA Edgewise. Charlie Harari is a business executive in New York. He was an associate clinical professor of management and entrepreneurship at the Sai Sim School of Business at Yeshiva University, and he hosts a weekly radio show and the Unlocking Greatness podcast. Charlie is an internationally acclaimed speaker for subjects ranging from behavioral intelligence to performance management to personal empowerment. To read more about Charlie, please check out his website, charlieharari.com, and that's Charlie, H-A-R-A-R-Y dot com. We're here talking to Charlie about his really cool new book, Unlocking Greatness, The Unexpected Journey from the Life You Have to the Life You Want. Charlie, cool book. Welcome to AMA Edgewise. Thanks so much. It's so great to be here. Thanks for, for inviting me. Well, well, it was like just a short subway ride. <laughs> and, 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 you know, that's, although that's ridiculous, there's no such thing as a short subway right, ride anymore. Right. <laughs> new York problem. Sorry about that, exactly. people. Exactly. Uh, let's just jump in. I was struck by your book and the way you talk about the way people historically have thought about things like intelligence and creativity and logical reasoning and whatnot. And there are a lot of assessments out there, some of them historically significant. Anyone who's applied to college has been through a lot of that windmill, that meat grinder type stuff. In your experience, can standard assessments of, of intelligence, creativity, or logical reasoning, can they provide meaningful metrics on a person's potential? Do you agree with that? Do you disagree with that? And why? It's a great question. And over the course of my career and in, in getting involved in businesses and being involved in different ones, you start to see the value of certain assessments and the limitations of others. But first and foremost, I believe totally that one's potential is unique to them. And one of the greatest, I think, tragedies that happens to people as they grow up is that they get into some system and somebody else says, this is what's really important. This is what we consider to be successful. If you fill these boxes, if you succeed in these subjects, if you're this type of person, then you are the better student. You're going to be more successful. And so students come into the system, if you will, and feel like success is not just the unearthing the unlocking of my personal potential. It's somebody else's definition. It's somebody else's model. Exactly. And it could be because society decided that to make more money, you need to know this, or to be more productive, you need to know this. It may not be anybody in specific. It's just the society, the culture that you're in, many times says, this is what we consider success. In the book, mm -hmm. we have a whole thing on symbols of significance. In every society, someone decides what's a symbol of significance. For some people, it's a trophy for a gold medal. And for some people, they don't even consider that to be anything. And it's, it's a GPA. And for some people, it's neither. It's a religious you know, a connection or a scholarship. So wherever you're born into, many cases, you've got a culture that decides this is significant. And we, being cultural beings, want to be accepted, want to be approved of. And especially when we're younger, we're trying to figure out if we are great in ourselves. So we're trying to look for the people to tell us, is this great? Is this great? True. So we end up copying, if you will, and pasting somebody else's goals into ours. And that can take place even within a family. True. So one of the greatest, I think, tragedies that goes through people's lives is that they spend a lot of their lives trying to make somebody else feel like they're being successful mm -hmm. versus trying to figure out who they are and trying to unlock what 
they have, which is greatness. And that's not comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, the world says work hard. I don't want to work hard. That's hard work. But trying to figure out what is it that I can bring to this world, to this environment, and how do I unlock it within myself? Sure. Personality tests. Like I, I started a company on just personality testing because I saw that lots of times when you interview people for jobs, the interview process is like based on like a resume. It's you get so little of the person. So the person looks good. They got the right GPA. They went to the right schools or right classes. You put them in a job that they're really not that great for, and then you try to figure out, okay, how do I make them do this better versus taking the time to say, okay, who is this person? What are they naturally good at? How do I put them in a place where they have a certain amount of natural skill and then work them so that natural skill becomes extraordinary? And that distinction between job-focused versus people-focused is a major difference in business. When you're people-focused and then you figure out where they go, you're building the person. Mm -hmm. You're pushing them. And when you push people to be the best they can be and they know it, they want to be great. Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to be great. That's why we spend so much time watching other people be great. Sure. That's why so much of our time is spent watching movies of people becoming great mm-hmm. or watching sports of people becoming great because in our core, we want that for ourselves. Sure. We just look around and go, you know what? I'm 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. I don't feel like I'm great. You know what? Maybe I can just enjoy someone else's greatness. Oh. And that living vicariously through others in a way satisfies us. It's mm-hmm. because we haven't done enough work mm-hmm. on our own trying to bring out our own greatness nick carr nicholas carr a couple of years ago wrote a book called the shallows which was shortlisted for a pulitzer prize didn't win but it was based upon an article he had originally written for the atlantic called is google making us stupid and some of the things in there in his article dealt with the shrinking of human attention span mm-hmm. how things like our smartphones and the internet is what it's doing to us and how it's affecting Things like, in the book you talk about it a little bit, but it's this issue of brain plasticity. Mm-hmm. The brain is very plastic type of thing. It can be molded. It can be shaped. It can be expanded in a certain sense. What are your, what are your thoughts today, you know, 2018, as it relates to brain plasticity and specifically the apparent shrinking of the human attention span? I think it's one of the greatest problems we're facing. I, I honestly believe when I, I whenever I teach students, I tell them your chances of being successful has gone up exponentially because all you got to do now is actually try to pay attention for more than five minutes. You see, the way the brain works is every time you have a thought, the brain creates a neurological connection, right? So thoughts actually create plasticity. The brain is plasticine. It's, it's flexible. It's malleable. Thought actually creates synapses that actually create plasticity. You, your brain is actually changing. So the reason why I know that the, you know, the thing that I'm drinking out of is a cup isn't because I was born with the proclivity towards the English language. It's because as a kid growing up, my mom says, Charlie, cup. And I probably said, ka, ka, ka. And every time I did that, my brain made a little connection until finally I said, cup. And then I, I lived here. So if you woke me up in the middle of the night and said, what's that? I wouldn't have to Google it. I know it's a cop. Right. What's going on in my brain, if you can almost peer in, is that there's a really rock-solid connection between this made-up word called cup and the cup itself. Right. So every time you have thoughts, if those thoughts are focused and they're consistent, they're building strong neuroconnections. That's why people get better at their jobs after years of doing them. That's why when I, like I said in the book, that's why I, don't, I can't read a periodic table. I mean, I, I passed my chem region when I was in 10th grade, but like, I don't know where anything is. Cesium. Go ahead. Go. <laughs> like, it's because my brain knew it then. Right. It made a very thin sure. connection. Yep. And then I haven't looked at it since. And so that connection, what they call synaptic pruning, it went sure. away. So the game of life and the game of wisdom and knowledge 
is what connections are being made in your brain. The habits, the way we feel about things, all of our day-to-day activities really is the reactiveness of our brain plasticity to the world in front of us. And when you want to change, the best way to change is to target things specifically and increase your thoughts in one area so that you create the right new neuro connections in that specific area. Mm-hmm. The way to do that is focus. Right. When you focus on something long enough, what you're doing is you're allowing your brain to create the right plastic connections so that you get that knowledge that's actually lasting. If you read something for more than a minute, your brain has more and more time to delve into something and to see its nuances and then to learn the wisdom. Mm -hmm. If everything you have in life is surface, you don't ever have the chance to develop anything deeper than surface. So we live in a world today where the world figured out, I now can get you at your hip. It's the greatest thing in the history of marketing ever. And there's no, I'm not blaming them. My hip is my television set. My hip is my computer. My hip is my billboard. And all I got to do is send you things that you want that's going to stimulate you and that's going to shock you enough times and I'll guarantee you'll pay attention to me. Which is why headlines aren't even headlines anymore. Now there's algorithms that says you're on this side of the political fence. I'm going to feed you headlines that you want to hear and I'm going to make it more and more shocking because here's what's going to happen. Over the course of your life, you're going to condition yourself to not be able to think of something for more than a few minutes. So your brain cannot create strong neurological connections in depth. Mm -hmm. And if you look at people that are wise, what they have is not necessarily they're born with a certain amount of natural knowledge. That's true. They have depth. Mm -hmm. Talk to somebody that knows you. You know what you think? They're looking at me. Mm -hmm. They're listening to me. There's depth. And the, the value of depth, of depth in, in relationships, in marriage, in children, in work, in anything, in spirituality, in, in philosophy, someone with depth, their minds are different. They see mm-hmm. things that no one else sees. Short attention span today is blocking us from depth, mm-hmm. and that blocks us from wisdom. You're seeing, in essence, you're seeing a whole bunch of like almost incomplete people, like shells of, of what people could be. Super talented, incredible people, but with access to the world in front of them. Mm-hmm. I look at young people sometimes, and I'm looking at them going, you know how to use a machine that can bring you the world at your fingertips in light speeds more than your grandparents. Right. But if you know how to use it. But, but you're still walking into light poles because you got your head in the phone and you're not even looking where you're walking. Right. And if you're going to look at that person across from you that you're married to or that you're in a relationship with, and every time they start talking for more than one minute, you're going to lose attention span, you're going to miss on life. Yeah. And if you go to work and they give you a problem and it's seven minutes and you can't figure it out and you're like Googling or checking, you're never going to learn how yeah. to be great. Yeah. And it's right in front. And if you learn how to be great, you can access the world. Yeah. It's this great double-edged sword that everyone, and that's not just kids. Yeah. It's us. It's all of us. Right. We walk around with a double-edged sword mm-hmm. that's either going to give us powers that we never had yeah. or it's going to give us limitations that we never can experience. Let's talk about another double-edged sword, this whole issue of separating your needs from your desires. Why do you think so many people are challenged with separating their needs from their desires. When you live a world and everyone tells you every day, you need this to be happy. You need this to be successful. You need this car. You need this promotion. You need this vacation. 
unless you're spending time introspecting. Now, if you look through great theologians, philosophers, managers, if you look back and in the research, I spent a lot of time studying great people from all spectrums to try to figure out what do they got. There's a few things that came to the forefront. One of them was introspection. Great people introspect. They see their brain as more valuable as their business. So if I'm looking at spreadsheets and going, well, how did I do today or this year? Why am I not looking at my day? How did I think about this? What did I do today? Right? So they're introspecting. And in the introspective process, they're clarifying their own thinking. If you don't introspect, all you're doing is reacting. When you live a world where everyone's telling you, buy this, you need this, you start to blur the lines of what you need and what you want. Now, if you start to need things that you really don't need, then you've got to have it. Which means when you get it, you don't really enjoy it because you have to have it. How many people really enjoy breathing? You should, but you don't because you need it. But it, you, you may enjoy an Aruban vacation. It's not extra. So when you live your life and everything you need stops becoming extra, starts mm-hmm. to become necessary, you're running around all day chasing things that other people are telling you that you need. Mm-hmm. And what that does is it pulls you away from what you really are and the value that you can add to the world. Sure. So when you're able to clarify your thought and go, you know what, I really would like that thing, but do I need it? Now, why do people do it for? So I thought first it was because they don't think clearly enough. And then I, after talking to people, I realized what it is. I think people are scared. I think people are scared to say, I don't need that because they're scared they're not going to have the hunger to get it. I think people feel like I have to need the promotion. I have to need the extra money. I have to need the things that I want to be motivated to get it. And what they don't realize is that needing things that you don't need is actually the greatest block to getting them. Interesting. Greatest block is needing things you don't need because as soon as you clarify what you need, you're free. And when you get things that are beyond what you need, usually it comes when you're giving more to the world. Hmm. Givers, people that add value, always get more than people that take it may take an extra few years to see it when you're always needing things you're taking mm-hmm. but when you realize i don't really need most of the stuff and you start being happy with what your real needs are you start looking around and now you're in control mm-hmm. now when you're in the driver's seat and you're free to give that's when the world starts giving you more things i was struck by your point of view the perspective that you have in the book as it relates to a religious faith or spirituality And again, some people might say that's an awkward subject these days, these times. What role does spirituality play in a person's path to greatness? So spirituality, the way I define it in the book, really is a a connection to more, right? When one wants to become great, you have to first understand your needs. You have to satisfy yourself. If you're always running after something and filling an endless pit, you not only you're not satisfied, but you can't become the person you're meant to be. But as you analyze yourself, one needs to figure out, okay, who am I? How far do I go? Am I just a body? Is my real goals in life to satisfy my food, my sleep, my procreation, my comfort, or do I have more? In the book, when we speak about spirituality, we speak about the metaphysical, the more. There's something inside me that's an intangible. Mm -hmm. And if there's an intangible, I need to explore it outside faith, outside a specific religion. Mm -hmm. I need to explore what that means. And in the book, we delve philosophy, spirituality, theology. Mm -hmm. And what we come up with with basically is the ability to give. There's a need to be a giver, Mm -hmm. to be truly significant, right? To be truly connected. 
that need of giving is a spiritual need, is a metaphysical need. And one needs to recognize that unless I'm spending my life satisfying my giving need, I'm never going to be fully great. So we see giving sometimes maybe as lack, but that's only when you look at it from the prism of a physical body. Because this, if you give something away, you lose physically. But when you see your life and say, wait a second, I got to look at it from a perspective of the end of my life, let's say. In the book, we have these exercises, the eulogy exercise, or the ideal day exercise. If somebody takes the time to analyze their life and go, okay, at the end, I'll, I'll be done at some point in my life. What is it that is going to make me the most satisfied? What's going to lock my greatness they'll find? As they, get away, as they get rid of all that physical needs, what really is going to satisfy them is the metaphysical. Right. It's the relationships. Sure. It's, how people, it's that significance, not the ego, but the giving. Right. That we speak about comes from a metaphysical source. And when you're satisfying, when you're focusing on your metaphysical needs first, your physical needs get met and your greatness starts to come to the forefront. It's almost like as if you are pouring, you're almost like you're showering on soil. As you shower your physical needs on your soil, which is yourself, you start to grow things inside you that you didn't even know were there. And this is the world that we live in today. You see this divide. People get so scared. They're not going to get enough stuff. They're, they're just pulling and pulling and me and me and me. And they, as much stuff as they get as competitive. And this, you, you see this as all the, in businesses all the time. You see that's the divide in the business world. Some managers, some companies, it's like we got to get, we got to win, we got to beat. And that mentality could be good if it's trying to stimulate people to be the best they can be. But it also could be very harmful because it's very taking oriented. Mm -hmm. And it creates a culture of me and us. And you see over time that when people, when groups, when managers, when companies say, wait a second, we're here to add value to this world. Sure. What are we adding? What are we doing? Let's stop always worrying. We'll get. We'll get. It's not how, the world isn't, isn't built in a way that the givers lose all the time. Mm -hmm. But when you start to satisfy the metaphysical needs of yourself, of your company, mm -hmm. of your family, you start to grow things within yourself. You start to unlock things within yourself that make you feel fully satisfied, right. puts you in that driver's seat. And that's really where you start to, to not only give the value, that's where you start to gain the value. It's this trust that most people don't have mm -hmm. that if I, would, if I give, if I'm the right person, I'm going to get back. Sure. That's the societal trust that, that cultures live on. Mm -hmm. It's this chasm of I have to hand you something and there's going to be a small pause of you either taking it and running or looking at me and going, hmm, thanks. Yeah. Let me give you something back. Yeah. Now, it's in that little tiny black box that everything lies. Sure. That's interesting. That's really, that's, that's extremely, that's very perceptive. There are some people who some there are a lot of people who only really do that introspection and do or, or some of it i don't even say all of it some of that introspection and some of that self-analysis once a year and they do that at the end of the calendar year all right december 31st heading into january 1st and we traditionally would call something like that a new year's resolution what's wrong with new year's resolutions New Year's resolutions are the best way to fail at changing your life. If you want to have a sure way of failure, make a resolution. And here's why. It doesn't align with your brain. It aligns with your guilt. The reason we make resolutions is as follows. We get to New Year's and we either are not the person we want to be, we don't eat healthy enough, we're not a good father. We have, we have stuff. 
right? Because guess what? If you're a human being, you get stuff. And we don't think about our stuff because we can distract ourselves all year. And then there's like a moment where the world slows down. It's either a New Year's or it's a wedding or a funeral or a holiday. And in that moment, life slows down. And then when we get quiet, we go, I'm not the person I should be. So what do we do? We got to massage that guilt. We want to eat three desserts, but we still want to feel bad about it. So here's what we do. We tell ourselves, oh, okay. Next year, that's it. I'm changing. I'm losing 20 pounds, right? It just allows us to be us and get through the holidays. Why is it fail for? Because the way our brains work is it's neuroplastic, which means the more you think of something, the more it gets into your head, the more it becomes a part of you, right? So in the book, I tell the story. When my kids, I got little kids, right? All my little kids are the same way. When they're little, they hate brushing their teeth, right? They're downstairs by the bus. And my wife's like, did you brush your teeth? And they're like, we'll do it tomorrow. And my wife's like, that's not how it works. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's consistency. And they, go, they, they stomp up that stairs. Oh, I hate this. You hate me. They brush their teeth. I bet you me and you brushed our teeth this morning, right? And you didn't even think about it. Mm -hmm. You know why? Because it was a habit, Mm -hmm. right? It was the same thing every day, Mm -hmm. right? It was the same activity in the same room. It had that same little mint flavor, which doesn't help your teeth. It just helps your brain, right? And because it was consistent, your brain made a connection, and now you used less mental effort and got the benefit. Mm -hmm. That's life. Habits, consistent thought, allow your brain to change, and now your brain doesn't need to use energy. It's just an automatic we don't have to think about saying the word cup, right. but I may have to think about saying it in Chinese, which I don't speak, right? Consistency changes mind, changes self. Habit, resolutions, isn't consistent. It just gives you a destination. It doesn't tell you to get there. So it relies on discipline, but discipline is an emotion. It's a, like we said in the book, it's ego depletion. It's, it's a finite source. Yeah. You want to change your life? Your resolution is just a direction. You really want to change your life? Create a ritual. Rituals change life. Every day for three minutes, I'm doing this. When I started losing weight, I went through my whole phase. We can talk about it another time. When I was 30 years old, whatever, I went through this whole health phase. In the beginning, I couldn't go to the gym. You know what I did? I made myself a ritual. My ritual was every day you go to the gym. Do you know that I went to the gym, went into the locker room, changed, walked outside, went back into the locker room, changed, and went into my car? That's it. I didn't work out. But my ritual was go to the gym. I can do going to the gym. I can't do working out. I did it every day. And I never missed. You know what happened after a couple of weeks? I did a machine. There you go. Well, I'm here. I might as well. My I'm, bl- I'm dressed for Right. It. I'm here. I should do it. Everyone else looks like they're having a good time or they're not having a good time, right? I should sweat. My wife doesn't have to do anything. You know what I'm saying? Right. But why does that work for? Because habits and rituals create neuroplasticity. Yeah. Yeah. And when you create the neuro, it gets easier and it becomes a part of you. Right. Right. That's change. Yeah. Change isn't. I'm not the guy. I, I eat unhealthy, but I feel guilty. Right. Changes, that, that, that's me. When did that happen? I don't know. I can't. There's no moment in time that became me because your brain now has its focus, its consistency. Sure. And that's really how you make change. That's extremely cool. Okay, so person listening to this podcast right now is psyched. They're, they're, they're turned on by your passion. They want to get started on this type of thing other than buying the book. How can someone get started right away with following your approach. I have a weekly podcast called Unlocking Greatness. Search that in the podcast app. You can just Google me, Charlie Harari. It's Charlie and last name H-A-R-A-R-Y. We've got tons of stuff online and programs or buy the book. Mm -hmm. And really it's for each person. It's to get started is to spend a couple minutes alone. I always tell people right away, if you really want to get started, take a piece of paper and try to block out two hours of your day 
and try to write down who you want to be in a year from today. I have this exercise in the book. You'll see it. And for those who buy the book, you'll get the whole background to it. But if someone's saying, okay, I'm liking what I hear right now. So hopefully you'll Google me and you'll find more stuff. But even if you don't, if you take out a piece of paper, um, this is the exercise, and you write down, here's where I want to be in a year from now. If you don't have two hours for yourself, then you're not, you're not serious. Okay. So, so commit to the two hours. Two hours, and then here's what you do. Look at it and find one thing you can do for less than five minutes every day for the rest of your life. Nothing inspires more than progress. You do one thing for five minutes for the rest of your life that's going to get you closer to the vision you see of yourself in a year from now. You do it for one month, you're going to be drunk on inspiration. Like yeah. You're going to get it because you're going to see your brain change. And once you see your brain change on one thing, once you see neuroplasticity work, once you wake up in the morning and go, wait, I, I, didn't, I didn't want that donut. Or wait, I said thank you. Or you know, whatever yeah, that is. Sure. Once you feel your brain kicking in the way it kicks in, mm -hmm. it's the most addictive, exciting, inspiring process. And then you just want every day to be another day so that you can do more things so that you can become the person you're meant to be. And finally, to wrap up, we here at the American Management Association like to think that our noble cause is helping people who are new to management or new to leadership. What is in this book for a new manager or an aspiring leader? It, it, this book is very much management-focused. It comes across personal, but it's, it's really one and the same if you think about it. You're managing people. I always tell managers two things, and I said this a minute ago, but I'll, I'll, I'll sort of clarify it. Visualize and ritualize. That's your job visualize and ritualize, right? You're the one who's got to see past where people are. That's your job. Your job is to see over the bushes. Your job is to see over the hill. Your job is to tell a group of people, hey guys, I know each of you, or hey women, I know each of you doing this, but we're going here. Let me show you how this coalesces into something. And the more you visualize something that's inspiring, the more people won't get up in the morning. Mm -hmm. People make a mistake sometimes and think that people don't want to work. People want to work. They just want to work to something that's meaningful to them. Mm -hmm. And managers need to understand, first and foremost, they need to visualize what people are working towards and then ritualize it for them. Mm -hmm. they, they shouldn't let some people only figure out what to do tomorrow. Help them figure out, wait, for us to get to this level in our company, well, what do I got to do every day and sure. do that really well? Sure. And I'm, I'm a big fan of watching sports coaches and how it connects to managers mm -hmm. because that's what they do. This is the championship. But let me show you how to block. Now, if you know how to block, well, how does blocking help win a championship? Well, we'll, we'll show you, but we're going to help you ritualize your exercise in this one particular area of the line in order for you to pull back and see how all that is going to coalesce into a championship. Sure. That's the beauty of managers. They're at the bookends. Right. right. They're in the future and they're in the weeds. Mm -hmm. And if they do that really well, what they'll find is the people around them will get excited to reach heights. They'll also get excited about the structure becoming better than they were the day before. Right. That's great stuff. We've been speaking to Charlie Harari. He's the author of a book entitled Unlocking Greatness, The Unexpected Journey from the Life You Have to the Life You Want. Charlie, this is cool stuff. Thanks so much for sharing it with us and good luck with the book. Thanks so much. It's an honor to be on your podcast. Thanks so much. AMA webinars give you 90 minutes of focused how-to instruction and specific solutions to help you solve your most pressing work issues. Find tactical, practical courses on building work relationships, 
polishing your spreadsheet skills, managing your team to meet company goals, and more on our events calendar at amanet.org forward slash events. We take feedback very seriously here at the AMA. If you get a minute, you have some thoughts about this program or additional questions, just send an email to us at podcasts at amanet.org. 